Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hold the Line. Now, I've been accumulating quite a few questions in my inbox. So I thought it would be good to go through those and have a little bit of Joe's inbox clear out. Um, so here we go. Hold the line. I would say that some of these questions are very interesting and they involve lots of different bits and pieces. They're quite rich questions. So they're going to give us lots to kind of chew on, as it were. So here we go. First question is from Mads in Sweden. And he says... Hi, Joe. Question for your podcast, Hold the Line. Thanks for a great podcast and book. Both are a huge inspiration. Thank you very much. Then he goes on to say, I'm introducing Gunshot to my 10-month-old Labrador Retriever and coupling it with the look at that exercise you describe in your book. I want the dog to mark and focus on the gunshot and then break off at the click looking at me. Later, I plan to have a cued command like look or mark so the dog picks up the gunner before the shoot. I also plan to have an auto sit coupled to gunshot in general for when we do walk up and trials and have a signal for the dog when the retrieve is not for that, for them, I think, like a rudimentary reposition move. How would you introduce a retriever to gunshot? Would you train in both uncued and cued marking to shot? How do you signal to the dog that this is not your retrieve? Thanks, Mads. Well, Mads, um, there is an awful lot to talk about in that email. So... I think maybe just to take it point by point and rather than all at once, because it's a bit overwhelming all at once. <laughs> so the, the first thing is um, I want the dog to mark and focus on the gunshot and then break off at the click looking at me. And you say here, looking at me like in the clicker retrieve. I'm not too sure what you mean by like in the clicker retrieve there. Um, but anyway, let's just leave that bit off. So you want the dog to, you want there to be a gunshot in front and you want the dog to mark and focus on that, you're saying. And then you want to click at some point during that and then for the dog to look at you after the click. I mean, that's not dissimilar to what I would recommend. I just don't know whether the click is the best thing to be using there and whether it isn't better to use your mark cue to begin with and then your leave cue to tell the dog to not get it and whilst you may not want to use these as verbal cues later on when your dog is fully trained and understands the whole kind of um sequence of events when you're starting out it can really help to have you know to be saying mark and to be saying leave and to be helping the dog with some verbal cues 
So we have to train the dog, obviously, to understand what these verbal cues are. We can't just start saying things at the dog because they're not going to understand what, what they mean, which unfortunately is what lots of people do. So you can start to say mark as soon as you're starting to throw things. As soon as you have a dummy thrower out in front of you throwing something for your dog, you can start to say mark just before the dummy thrower makes a noise and throws the dummy or bumper. So you don't that's nothing to do with gunshot or shot whatsoever. It just means there's something out there for you to look at, basically. So the next thing, which is important, is we don't want the dog to look away from the mark until we tell them to look away if it's not for them or we send them. So the reason for that is the dog is going to be able to most accurately perform the retrieve if they never take their eyes off where it lands. So they're watching it go through the air, they watch it hit the ground, and then they run straight out to it without ever looking away from where it landed. So if the if you've got a dog, because it's very common for dogs to sort of, the handler to wait, because the handler obviously wants steadiness, and it's sort of like, I'm going to wait a really long time to sort of get the message across to my dog, they have to be steady. So during that time of waiting, many dogs will kind of look away from the, from the dummy and look up at the handler almost to say, please, can I go? Please, can I go yet? So many handlers starting out quite like this because they think, oh, look, my dog's really steady. They're looking at me. They, you know, they're not trying to run in and they quite like this at first. And so that's when they send their dog, reinforcing the dog for looking at them instead of for looking out at the retrieve. And then it can be quite difficult for the dog to relocate the retrieve because they've taken their eyes off it and they've looked up at you. They've looked away from from where it's landed. So what we want to teach the dog is the thing goes through the air, it hits the floor and you don't look away from that unless you're either sent, in which case you're not really looking away from it. You're still looking at it while you're running at it or you're given a cue to tell you that this isn't for you and or it's not for you right now. You might get it later, but it's not one you're about to be sent for right now. So um, I use the word, I use the cue leave for that, but you can use any cue you like. And that's why I would suggest that you use instead of your click um, for the gunshot, because it's the same kind of thing, really. So instead of, you know, clicking the dog for looking forwards, you can be saying your mark, the dog is looking out there, and then you're either sending the dog or another, this is where the blind pole idea comes in. You can send the dog to a blind pole or blind somewhere else instead of to that mark that they saw. And that way you are getting to practice the mark. Occasionally you will send the dog for the mark, but also you will sometimes send the dog for the blind. So in that way, the dog doesn't start to anticipate that they're about to be sent for that mark and run in on it or begin to be unsteady, or you don't start to have those worries because your dog doesn't know which one they're going to be sent for. And you also get to practice in that little setup, lots of um, mark and the thing going through the air and the gunshot and then leave, heal and turn around and then send the dog for the for the blind pole. So just to unpack the whole blind pole idea, if people don't know what I'm talking about there. So I mean, a white fence post or white pole or something which can be uh, behind you. So not in the same direction as the mark at first. And you can start out facing the mark and the dog sees that. And then you, know, you can say leave and then rotate in a little sort of semicircle, pivot around and send the dog to the blind pole behind you for a retrieve from there instead. So you will have had to have worked on your blinds separately before you put them into this kind of scenario. But this does give you the opportunity to practice the whole sequence of seeing the marked retrieve without 
having to send the dog for it every time. And yet the dog also has an outlet for that energy. So a lot of dogs, when they see something go through the air, they really want to go get it, obviously. And they have a lot of sort of pent up energy. And with young dogs, it can be helpful to sort of give them another outlet for that. So we're sort of saying, okay, you can go and get something, but you're not going to go and get that thing that you thought that you were going to go and get and that there's a risk of you anticipating getting. Instead, let's direct your energy at this other thing behind us. And that way you, you can you know get rid of some of your yayas and your energy and go do a retrieve, but it's not the one that you thought you were going to do. So we're kind of, we're working with that confounding expectation, anticipation, which is really important. So I'm not sure I'm talking about gunshot very much here at the moment, but I'm going to come around to it. So um, so yes, that's basically what, what we do with the whole Mark situation. And the gunshot is just something which is, which is happening then when the, um, bumper is in the air. And by the way, before you've got to this stage, you haven't been associating your shot with retrieves at all. You've just, like we didn't, like we covered in the previous podcast episode, when we talked about gunshot an awful lot, um, the, the first thing to work on is just helping the dog be okay with the sound, like any other sound, like fireworks or traffic noise or anything whatsoever. So we're just helping the dog think that the sound is blah, it's nothing. And the best way to do that is not to associate it with something flying through the air and something really exciting, which we're sending the dog for. So we can start with the sound really far away um, and then, you know, give the dog a little scatter of treats on the floor Every time the sound happens, or if you've got a dog that likes to play tuggy, you can play some games of tug with the dog. So you're looking for any sort of um, sort of ears perking up and dog looking a bit concerned in all of this. What you really want is that the dog just doesn't even appear to hear the noise. That's what you're aiming for at that stage. So... That's why we suggested that. And then the next stage after that is associating the gunshot with the sit cue, which is the next bit that you talk about in your, in your questions here. You said, um, I also plan to have an auto sit coupled to gunshot in general for when we do walk up and trials. So yes, you can do that. So even if when your dog is fully trained, you don't necessarily want them to sit every single time they hear a gunshot. I think it does help the sort of beginner dogs who understand that shot means don't go rather than that shot means go um, and run in. <laughs> so I think that it's kind of building the right habit, even if eventually when dogs fully trained, you, can, you allow them just to stand when they hear the shot at your side, it will still mean don't go instead of go. So that's your next step. So by the time you get to the bit I've just been talking about, when you've got a, a, a dummy thrower out in front of you, firing a shot and throwing a, a dummy and then you're turning around, you've got your blind pole behind you and that sort of scenario, that is that is where you're starting to introduce the gunshot and something being thrown. But the thing being thrown is not necessarily something the dog is going to be sent to get. It's just something that happens as well. And then you're going to turn around and send the dog to the blind pole behind behind as well so we're sort of confounding that expectation sometimes you will have to send the dog for the mark or they will stop marking it they'll stop looking at it if you never send send them for it because remember one of the key things to always think about and keep in mind with gun dog training generally is that dogs look where they perceive the reinforcer is going to come from so that is really important for so many different things from our heel work where the dog is going to look up at us if they think that we have all the good stuff um and that's going to make it difficult. We want the dog to look forwards and, and mark while walking at heel. So we want to teach the dog that the reinforcer can be out there in front of us, 
so that we get that dog which is able to maintain a heel position, but also to maintain that in order to earn the retrieve out in front. So this is the same thing as well. So yeah, so I hope this is making some sense so far. Um, let me see what other bits of your email have we not covered. Um, later, I plan to have a cued command like look or mark so the dog picks up the gunner before the shoot, before the shot, I think you mean. Um, yeah, you can do, you can introduce that as soon as you start to have a shot and a bumper being thrown. You can start to say mark just before that happens. There's not a reason to sort of hold off on that or to introduce it later, I don't think. Um, how do you introduce a retriever to gunshot? I've covered that, I think, a lot in the previous um, episode and in what I've just kind of recapped here. Would you train in both uncued and cued marking to shot? So, yes, probably, because you're not going to always be able to say mark before every shot because you're not psychic, so you're not going to know when a shot's going to happen always. So you want the dog to be marking by themselves. But also, if there is something that you know is about to happen and you want to give the dog a bit of a heads up, then it helps if you can, can say mark and that results in a dog which is looking forwards, looking out and not going to miss anything. So, yes, we're training both uncued and cued marking to shot. How do you signal to the dog that this is not your retrieve oh and just to go back to that question actually would you train in both uncued and cued marking to shot it's important to say that we're talking about two things in one um blob here <laughs> and the two things are the shot and the thing in the air and these these things do not necessarily have to be one blob you know we can just have a thing in the air without a shot and we can have a shot without anything being thrown a dummy or a bird falling whatever so these things are not necessarily you know, an inseparable pairing. So yes. So um, would, so when you say, would you train in both uncued and cued marking to shot? I don't know if I would just do it to shot without there being something for the dog to see. So I think that I would pair the mark with the thing in the air rather than with the, sh the sound of the shot, if that makes sense. So even in situations where we weren't using a shot and we were just throwing a dummy without a shot, I would still be saying mark, and then the dummy is thrown. So it's more about there's something to see. It's a cue, which means there's something to see out there rather than it means you're going to hear a shot. So I hope that helps explain that a little bit as well. Um, and how do you signal to the dog that this is not your retrieve? Yeah, this is a really important question because what happens, and this is really, it's, it's really interesting because there's lots of little things that can go wrong around this. So if, if the dog doesn't get many, many retrieves, some dogs will stop marking. So if you if you have a lot of dogs sitting there and things are being thrown and they're never sent for it, some dogs will just stop looking ahead, looking forwards. Maybe they find it too punishing to never be sent. So you will have to kind of figure out what number, how frequently does your individual dog need to get a retrieve to help them want to keep looking out at that retrieve. So um, and the other thing to say is how do you signal that they're not, that it's not your retrieve? Cause you don't want, like we talked about before, you don't want the dog to stop looking by themselves because if you're going to send them, they've looked away and it's going to be harder for them to locate where it is. So that means the dog should not look away until we give them a cue to look away. And I think at the very beginning, it's useful to have a verbal cue. I'll often say leave. And then when the dog, when the dog hears me say leave, and looks at me or looks away at that moment, I will click that looking away and give a treat. So 
that's that's what I would do there. And then as the dog gets more experienced, my leave will become quieter and quieter and it will start to become um I step forward like we're resuming heel work or I turn around like we're about to send the dog somewhere else. So it starts to be my movement that cues that this is not going to be a thing that I'm going to line you up for and send you for. But you can also do this by new cue, old cue. So for example, if you were be if you were saying leave and you wanted to instead have quite a subtle sort of um, hand tap on your thigh a couple of times, then maybe you would do your new cue, which is your hand tap on your thigh, and then you would say leave, and then you would click and you would treat. And if you repeat that a few times, a couple of hand taps on your thigh, leave, and then click and then treat, then pretty soon your hand taps on your thigh will start to be you know, responded to in the same way that the leave verbal cue is responded to. And you can then even work on making the hand taps smaller and smaller um, so that they really do become very um, unnoticeable to anybody apart from the dog. I think it's clearer at the beginning to use a verbal cue and Trina has a verbal cue. And then you and the dog just develop through time a way of working together and understanding each other. And you, you start to not need that leave verbal cue anymore because it just it becomes a bit redundant. Like the dog understands that this isn't for them because you've taken a step forwards um, or you've rotated around. And the only reason ultimately that you don't want to use it as a verbal cue perhaps is that there's this whole thing about quiet handling being prized. And I think if you were there going leave to your dog, it might look like an unnecessary verbal cue that you're giving. And some judges might not like that. So um, yeah, so you probably want by the time you get to the stage of competing to get out of saying the leave as a verbal cue. But you can make it quite a subtle body movement, um, one one tap on the side of your thigh with your fingers, which is not really noticeable to anybody. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can signal to the dog physically, I'm not going to send you for that right now. Um, so try and devise a way of working together with the dog so that they come to understand that. Um, but yes, I hope that I've answered these questions somehow or other. Uh, let's move on. Hold the line. We have another question from someone else in Sweden, actually. Um, so this is a question from Jessica. So I understand there's a little group of people who are sort of reading the book together in Sweden and studying it together. And they have some questions about male dogs and working with marking and dogs that want to mark things. So um, Jessica says, some of us reward our dogs with scent to letting them sniff as a reinforcer. If the scent reward is from another dog's pee, our dogs will pee on the same spot. I've noticed some trouble with my male golden retriever, two years old, and so have the other young male dog owners. They become a bit scent obsessed. Maybe they were before as well. We're not sure. When we send the dogs out on a mark or to hunt in an area, and it takes more than a few seconds for the dog to find the dummy, they sometimes pee. Now, this is, of course, very frustrating for us. I even have my dog choose scent from a lady dog instead of retrieving a mark. How do we train them not to sniff or pee when they're sent out to work? I feel as though using scent as a reinforcer, although I mostly only use it in loose leash walking, but still a reinforcer has made this behavior occur more often when I don't want it. Also, how in the hell do we train our male dogs to leave lady pee scent the hell alone while they're out working? Is it even possible? As you probably know, Lady P tends to send male dogs' brain cells flying out the door. It takes a while to get them back to Earth. Thanks for the awesome book and workbook, and hi from the study circle of 10 handles and dogs in Sweden. Um, well, hi right back, um, Jessica. So, 
Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now, the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now, the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself, and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's Whistle Pause. Let's get back to the show. Wow. This is a question which um, comes up a lot. It's very common for people with male dogs to struggle with these issues. Um, I think the thing to say, I mean, how old is your dog? You did say two years old. So it's still quite a young dog. Is that a lot of dogs will go through this during adolescence and it will be quite a battle to continue training around and during it. But then if you manage to work with it, they will come out the other side of adolescence with a better brain and more able to focus um, so a few things to say, some of them are a bit obvious, but it's always worth restating the obvious, I think. So make sure that you are using really tasty reinforcers. So not just, you know, kind of frankfurters or you know something which is kind of an average treat, but make sure you're using something which is like extra specially great for your dog. Because obviously, as you say, you want your dog to choose your reinforcers over the reinforcer that is la- Lady P, whatever it is, um, <laughs> Lady Dog P um, <laughs> out there in the environment. So, um, so that's the first thing to say. And it's pretty obvious, maybe a basic, but the other thing to say is when you're using the P as a reinforcer for your loosely walking, really make sure that it's happening after you've cued the dog to, to do it. And this goes for marking generally as well. So basically, if you've got a young dog, a young male dog, and they're, they're just coming out of puppyhood and they're just reaching the point where they're starting to wee on things and mark and want to do that sort of stuff... It's really important that you put this on cue and that you sort of have a um, not there and a okay P or Q. So you need two different cues. You need a Q, which means, um, okay, I want you to pee on this or you can pee on this thing now. And then a Q that means no pee or not peeing here right now. Um, and if your dog's in lead, you would just quickly move on past that spot without giving them an opportunity to wee on that. So basically make try and get it on cue that's what i'm trying to say so if you've got behavior which is happening which you you want to have some kind of control over the best way to try to have that get that control over it is to get it on cue so try and get peeing 
cock, as in cocking leg peeing, um, on cue, so that it's happening. And, and that means that sometimes you might ask the dog to do it, even when it hadn't occurred to the dog to do it. So once you've been doing this for a while and you've got the cue associated with the dog having a pee, then if you see something that you think, oh, the dog probably will want to pee here, then you start the idea. You you go, oh, look, pee pee, whatever your cue is for it, by the lamppost or, or the bush or whatever it is that you think your dog is likely to want to wee on. So um, that's that's one tip. Then when you are using it, as you've described in your loosely walking, try and make sure that it is really happening after your cue for them to do it as a reinforcer. So it's not like the dog is breaking off away from loosely walking and they are having a wee, but that it happens when you cue it to happen and not at other moments. So it's just not possible to happen at other moments. So you kind of move on quickly past the thing that they want to wee on with your no pee cue, whatever that is, um, and continue with the training so that basically um, it happens on cue. It doesn't happen off cue when you're training. Does that make sense? So when it's free time and you sort of say to your dog, you know, you give your dog permission to just be a dog and run around and explore somewhere, they can pee on whatever they want to pee on because you're not training in that moment. You've kind of told the dog, okay, you're free to just go be a dog. So if they want to pee on stuff, then they can pee on stuff then. But when it's happening in the context of a training session and during within the work, let's say, then it's going to need to be on cue. And just like anything else, you're going to need to try to get it on cue so that it happens when you cue it and it doesn't happen when you haven't cued it. So that's another important thing. And in terms of the retrieve situation, that is particularly frustrating because the dog is at a distance from you. So it's very difficult to, you know, rush on past the bush or whatever it is and prevent the dog from being able to do it because they're away from you at a distance and, you know, it's difficult to prevent. So there are some things that you can do, particularly if you've got a young adolescent dog, is to try not to train in places where loads of other dogs have peed or trained before you. And if you are, um, if you have the option of not running a retrieve in a spot where you've just watched another dog wee, then don't do it in that spot. You know, if you've got if you can say, oh, I, d- I don't want to run it here because this dog just weed before me and my dog's going to wee, can we do it over here instead? Then then do that. So try and choose clean areas that are not places where other dogs have weed, whether they're female or male, before it's your turn. And it's in that way, it's about establishing the right habit. And this is a big part of dog training generally is establishing the right habit for your dog so that that habit becomes deeply ingrained and it's like a pathway in your dog's brain that gets worn down and worn down and worn down. And the pathway of going out, getting the thing, coming back on a retrieve is just so strongly worn down that it would take a heck of a lot for a dog to not do that. So um, with a young dog, you're still developing that pathway and that habit. So make sure you run your retrieves in locations which don't smell of other dogs' wee throughout adolescence especially until you've got that that habit strongly ingrained and you know a big impression that's made on the dog you can also think about what is in the area where you're sending the dog so is there a bush or a tree or something which the dog is probably going to want to go and cock their leg on because they're going to find it irresistible not to do that so if that's the case then try not to throw the retrieve near the thing the dog might want to go wee on so you, you can kind of make sure you're using a visually clean area as well so maybe a flat field where there just isn't anything sticking up for the dog to want to go wee on some dogs will find something to wee on like a blade of grass for example but um, you can try your best so i hope that helps too 
The other thing to say is you can also set up, if you do all of that and you find that it's still not enough, like it's still not working and you've done it all the way through adolescence, you're kind of out the other side into adulthood and it's still this issue and you want to kind of work on it some more, then the thing to say is it's just like any other distraction. So it suggests that there's something that's not quite right with your retrieve process. So that would mean, does your dog... Have you been through the clicker retrieve process, as we cover in the book, for example? So the dog really, really wants to get back to you as fast as they possibly can because they understand that that's what's going to earn them the really tasty treat. So that is the, that's the first question, because a lot of the time people don't break down the retrieve properly. They just kind of fumble along with the retrieve, you know, waving things around in front of the dog's nose that, so that they're exciting and then throwing them for the dog to go and chase and then trying to make, you know, noises and run away for the dog to want to come up to them. And that's not really breaking down the retrieve into its component parts that the dog really thoroughly understands what the process is so that they can then perform the behavior reliably. So the first thing I would say is make sure you've got the clicker retrieve 150% trained and the dog really understands it and that this isn't anything to do with that. Then if that is the case and you think you've got that happening, you can set up scenarios in your house with distractions. So you could start with um, a person in a chair with a bowl of treats on their lap. And I'm just suggesting a person just because they can then cover the bowl of treats if the dog tries to get them. Um, so you can then perform retrieves backwards and forwards past this person. Then can you get rid of the person and just have the bowl of treats there? Then can you get to the point where the bowl of treats actually is the treat that you're going to give the dog? So in, in this situation, you would have, you know, you on one side of the room and you'll be throwing the bumper or placing the bumper on the other side of the room. And halfway between you, you would have this chair, either with the person or just with the treats on it. And so the dog would have to go past this chair with the treats, get the bumper and bring it back past the chair with the treats to deliver to hand. You would then click that delivery and you would go to your chair, which is halfway, get a treat and give it to your dog. So the dog understands that this is the reinforcer, but to get that reinforcer, they're going to have to come back to you. So that is another scenario that you can set up. And that the treats, you don't have to stick with treats. You can bring in anything that your dog finds distracting whatsoever. Bringing in <laughs> female dog wee might be a bit difficult. Um, you can do it, though. If you know someone who's got a female dog in heat, you can get like some tissues or a kitchen paper towel and just ask them to kind of rub that around so that you've got some stinky tissues and you can put that on the chair and you can proof your um, retrieve backwards and forwards with that right there. So, you know, there are ways you can work with this. You've got to be creative and you've got to kind of take a few steps back and always think about what is the concept that I'm trying to teach the dog. We're trying to teach the dog ignore the distraction, perform the retrieve. So if that's the concept that we're trying to teach the dog, how can we create a training setup which evokes that concept but in a way that we can control it and we can make sure we get the outcome that we want to get? So these are the kind of things that I'll be playing with um, if, if we were trying to work on that. Um, you can also, you know, when you start to move outside, you can use a long line so that you can interrupt the... You can keep the retrieve really short, basically. So if you're working on this distraction situation then you're not necessarily working on marking, you're just focusing on this as a priority. So you keep the retrieve within the length of your long line and you can, you know, once you've identified a place of lady dog wee, <laughs> um, maybe because you've seen a dog wee there or you just know it's a place where that is, then you can, within the length of your long line, do some retrieves backwards and forwards 
preventing the dog from reaching that. But maybe once the dog has delivered the retrieve to you, you're going to click and you can give your dog a treat, but then you can immediately say, go sniff and release your dog to go and sniff. So once they've delivered the treat to you, they then get to go sniff the lady dog wee as the reinforcer um, after the treat as well. So it's kind of an extra bonus reinforcer. Um, so that that's the sort of stuff that I'll be thinking about. But And I hope that that helps um, and makes some kind of sense. And yeah, good luck with with your study group over there. <laughs> it sounds very exciting. Um, so I think that is all for this week, everybody. And I'm going to sign off here because there was another question, but I think that I'm going to try and keep this episode about half an hour. Otherwise, it'll just get too long and people won't be able to listen to so long. So um, I'll kind of sign off here and I will be back again soon. <laughs> Hold it down the line. Hold it down the line.